This is the Black Hole Podcast with host Ryan Millsap. With a vision of how real estate could turn into movies and how movies could turn into money, Millsap set out to build the state's largest film complex. After checking that box, Millsap returned to his entrepreneurial roots, where real estate ventures, entertainment opportunities, nonprofit support, and golf course business deals rule the day. What's next for Ryan Millsap? Listen up, and you'll find out. Today on the podcast, I welcome friend, associate, and author, Sarah LaChapelle. In her book, The COVID Bride, Sarah, who planned and executed, that word might be a little too close for comfort, her dream wedding during the height of the pandemic, shows us the wild ride she went on trying to make plans while the world was upside down. We all remember the onset of the pandemic and the spread of the COVID virus for different reasons. But for Sarah, the journey to plan her dream wedding was just too wild, too raucous, and had too many unexpected moments for her to keep all the juicy details to herself. Funny, surprising, and unexpected, let's welcome the COVID bride, Sarah LaChapelle. is what brings us together today. Marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. So it wasn't easy to get married during COVID. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, I think you went through something similar. Well, I mean, the difference was that we got married at my farm. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have nearly the same impact of COVID as you did yes. dealing with all the third parties and venues and et cetera. So we were, we were on my farm in social circle, which social circle had the least amount of COVID. At least <laughs> they true. thought they did. Right. I mean, they, they just, you know, people didn't act like there was COVID. And so their vendors were all working. And so it was, it was not the same experience you had. Mm-hmm. Yours was much more dramatic. Yes. Trying to get married in the city of Atlanta during COVID was quite a challenge. We ended up switching venues Three times our ceremony was switched only three weeks before the big day. So, okay, wait, 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 go back. Give me a little timeline. Okay. About like, you know, and, and, and then culminate with the wedding getting switched three weeks before. Okay. So, we got engaged right in the beginning of COVID. So, the second we got engaged, um, we were completely locked down. Uh, I was living in DC a couple weeks before, and we were sent home from school which was very scary. (laughs) Um, And we ended up getting engaged in my parents' backyard, which was not our original plans. We had these like sexy plans to go to South America and travel to Chile and Argentina. Wait, you made plans to get engaged? Oh, of course. I make plans for everything. That's why I have the (laughs) planning book. So (laughs) um, we, yes, so we ended up getting engaged at my parents' house um, and we were living with them for the time being. Their and, new house up in Roswell. Yes. And that was really quite a shift from what I had in my mind. So just starting with the engagement, having this very extravagant engagement planned, and then switching to something so homegrown and sweet and suburban. Um, it was lovely, but definitely not what I had in mind. And then quickly after that, you know, we were trying to get in touch with Catholic churches in the area to plan the ceremony, and none of them were getting back to us. And then um, just any when church. When is this? Just like May, May of 2020. May, June. Does that sound right? Okay. Yes. Um, so we'd been through the March, April, May lockdown, mm-hmm. and so we're just coming out of the 90-day lockdown. Is that pretty much? Right? Okay. Yes. And none of the churches or anything were getting back to us, and um, we went to secure a country club for our ceremony, our, our reception, and. Um, we didn't end up hearing back until like late August. So, so you made a request in May, June, mm-hmm. and you don't hear back for a couple months. Don't hear back from August. 
At what point do you start getting worried that having a wedding is going to be difficult? Oh, I was worried the entire time. <laughs> I was. De- th- I think that's why this book is is here because throughout this experience and the stress and not hearing back from vendors and not being able to find a church, I was journaling through this entire experience. So the first chapters of this book were written almost three years ago. Um, so it feels very removed from me now because this was just, you know, just a a log of my experiences. Um, so that venue that we ended up booking, which was my absolute dream venue, um, we ended up having to switch four months before our wedding date because they were only allowing 50 people to come. And we had invited over 350. And so that is when the the secondary planning began. Was that PDC? I can't say. You get it? <laughs> <laughs> My lips are sealed. <laughs> it was one of the exclusive country clubs in the state of Georgia. Yeah. It all worked out for the best because um, country clubs are more strict with rules. And we ended up, you know, having our celebration. I can say the Four Seasons. Yeah. And they were great. They they allowed, you know, loud music till late at night. and. Um, right. But the Four Seasons was where you sh- shifted. Yes. Only what, three weeks before? So three months before. Three and months then before. our ceremony, we were supposed to have that at a church nearby. And we had to change that three weeks before. That's what I was remembering. Yeah. So we had people showing up at the, the wrong ceremony. And that is with, you know, multiple text emails, reminders, phone calls. Um, it happens. Well, and you ended up having two ceremonies. Correct is you had a you had a ceremony that I was at um, at the Four Seasons, mm-hmm. and then later you had a church wedding. Yes, I had the Catholic wedding. Had to do that, you know, Italian American family, very traditional. That was very important to have that, and so um, that was that was special and very private. Okay, so you get to write this book. It's very cathartic. Mm-hmm. How did it go with the family? All the people that are involved. I mean. Was there, sometimes when you write a book and you're really candid. Yes. <laughs> right? That's such a great question. Oh, my gosh. I think everyone had a different reaction. And everyone um, reading their character definitely had a different response to it. My mom, for instance, she she was so embarrassed because I really just played to her dramatic Italian overbearing mother character. And I think she's almost like the main character in a lot of these chapters. And the part that she was the most embarrassed is, I think the line I said, my arthritic (laughs) mother, which she is, she said arthritis my whole life. (laughs) Never seen the woman get on and off the floor, right? She falls right before our wedding. She was getting dressed and she was sitting on this bench and a couple of my bridesmaids dropped popped off the bench and so it just tilted and she's on the floor and this is while we're trying to get dressed go to photos and i'm like oh my god i've never seen my mother on the floor because she can't get up (laughs) (laughs) and but she'd read this before but then suddenly it's in print yes and she's like you make me sound like i'm a hundred years old and like i'm a cripple and i'm thinking in my head i was like well i thought you were going to the hospital so that was just do that voice again though because she's gonna love that one <laughs> no 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 <laughs> but um so she was one of the characters that was a little embarrassed um and but then, she was one of the main characters she was there with you the whole time the probably whole time stressing out right there with you mm-hmm. she was probably your partner in crime trying to plan this stuff exactly i think peter is so even keel and, and chill that no matter what I wrote about him, I think he'd be like, oh, it's a great book, sweetie. <laughs> so, That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, but I mean, his character is, is pretty straightforward because how involved really is the husband or fiance when it comes to planning? Well, if you he's know? smart, not a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, how about your dad? Is your dad, how, where does he show up in the book? My dad shows up in, in parts where I have to kind of come with my head down asking for a little bit more money because oh, budget problems. we're over Overages. budget. Yes, we're over budget. Change orders. He did have one request that he wanted, which was um, this band that he loves. But this was for our engagement party. So um, he was the catalyst to planning our engagement party before I was ever even engaged. So <laughs> I'm telling you, we're planners in my family. So the January before spring 2020, Peter asked my dad for my hand 
very traditional. So they're out fishing, which is the ideal place to ask. He catches a sailfish. He's in a really good mood. Peter's like, oh, I have this opportunity. Although if it goes poorly, you're out in the ocean <laughs> with, an, <laughs> with a just father. Just throw him overboard. <laughs> we had a fishing accident. Yeah. That guy, you know, I didn't like him anyway. Well, I would always test my um, boyfriends by sending them out to sea. And if they got seasick, I'd be like, oh, you know, he's not a keeper. That's fun. Unintended. Yeah. But um, so, you know, Peter asks, my dad says yes. He's a very warm guy, gives him a big hug. And when he gets home... My dad is just saying, oh, we have to get my favorite band to come play for an engagement party. And so I started planning this elaborate engagement party, which was honestly the scale of a wedding, which I had to cancel completely, lost all those deposits. Um, I started planning that in January before I was engaged. I think I remember that. Yeah. I mean, just to give people who are listening to this a little bit of context, um, Sarah's father and I have been friends. It's got to be almost 20 years now. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we were friends when you were a, a little girl, mm-hmm. right? And then, you know, while well, you've grown up and all these things. But um, I've gotten to hear stories from the other side, mm-hmm. you know, from your dad uh, for a long time. And so just a little bit of context. Yes. Yeah. Well, we still never got that band to play at um, the engagement party because we never had one. So... Uh, hopefully we'll have some sort of celebration and party that we can bring them in because that's all my dad wanted out of this whole wedding experience and he didn't get it. We should hire him. Is the band hard to get? Are they like so in demand that you have to book them way in advance? Yes, but they're they're very it's niche. the Eagles? He wants no, the Eagles? <laughs> no, it's like a little country band that is just a big deal in the South. I don't. I what don't, are they called? I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but the Force Williams band, he's obsessed. Their biggest song is like Red Naked. <laughs> That's what the name of the song is? Yeah, it's one of their Red songs. Naked? I think so, yeah. It's like a play on nakedness and redneck? Exactly. Okay, just make sure I'm hearing that right. <laughs> yes. <you know? laughs> yes. I mean, I, I speak pretty good Southern, but I, I always want to, you know, confirm. Well, my dad's very Southern, so there's, there's pieces that you can really hear it come through, like when he calls me Sarah Bell. Or like the days of the week, Monday, Tuesday, you know. That's true. Yeah, I, I, yeah that's <laughs> right. right. Well, well, the name of one of his boats is the Sarah Bell. Mm-hmm. His pride and joy. That, that says, I mean, that tells you everything. Yes. <laughs> so when your pride and joy gets married and it doesn't go well, how is your dad like dealing with all your disappointments in this? That's a, that's a really good question. He, because you have daughters, so you can totally understand just wanting, wanting this to go well for you them. You want it to be perfect for him. Um, there was just a lot of discussion and emotion between my mom and I, just with all of the things that went wrong, um, including like our wedding planner completely ghosted us after working together for six to eight months, um, never called us back, never answered. So my mom was freaking out being like, oh, we got to call the police and track her down. I'm like, whoa, 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 relax. (laughs) Did you ever find out? You never. I have no idea. And if she ever listens to this, I hope she calls me because I really loved this woman. Um, She was great. And I just think COVID put a lot of businesses completely out. Um, And she just had a baby at the time. So I could imagine going to 200, 300 person events would be the the worst thing to do with a newborn. Um, But never heard from her. So you don't even know she's okay. No, I have no idea. And her business partner and their their entire business was like erased on, on the internet. And this was during, you know, trying to switch venues three months before the wedding. So not only was I switching venues, I was trying to find a new planner. Um, my wedding coordinator at the other location died. It was just like a very tragic, ex- insane place where everyone around me was leaving me or dying. It was really horrible. Um, well, it was a pandemic. It was in it, it, every sense of the word. Um, and so my mom and I were very emotional. My dad was very much just like the, the calm, quiet, collected. And anytime that, you know, I needed something, he would he was supportive without being like, oh, go crazy. Don't keep the budget in mind. I was the one that was like, oh, well, I don't know what to do because now we're over budget for this. And then he would kind of be like, well, you know, what does it look like? And He's like, he was, how much over budget? Yeah, like how understanding. How much over budget, Sarah Bell, <laughs> my darling? Yeah, so he was very sweet. It helps that I'm the only girl. 
that oh. helps, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm not competing for attention here. That's right. So, it's a one-time event. One-time event, absolutely. I would never plan another wedding, so <laughs> not after this one, that's for sure. Okay, so how many venues do you go through before you actually oh, goodness. find the one that works? I think we looked at five or six of them. But I mean, lockdown, like where you thought, all right, we're going to do it here. But then that didn't work. And then we're going to do it here. And that um, so I only actually ended up making um, one final shift. And there was just a point which was the most nerve wracking where there was a, a two month period where I had no venue, but I wasn't mm. canceling my wedding. So I knew that these different venues didn't quite fit what we needed. Based you were committed to the date. I was committed to the date no matter what. And I think that came with the knowledge that I learned from earlier in our engagement where um, I mentioned he asked my dad back in January and we didn't get engaged till the spring. So once COVID started, we didn't really have this like desire to get engaged right away because we just were like, oh, things will get better. We don't know. Um, things are weird. And then eventually we just woke up one day and we're like, the world might never change. And we don't want to wait on the world for us to move on. We got engaged with like a very casual backyard setting. So I felt that same way about the wedding where I wasn't gonna change the date because who knows if things were getting better, who knows if they were getting worse, and we knew that we wanted to get married. And I'm so thankful that we did because I look at my friend's weddings that postponed, and in some instances, even if it was after our date, they were more impacted by COVID because either the Omicron or the Delta variant or people that were vaccinated were starting to get sick. We were in this like perfect little period where the vaccine was working, people had their you know, double dose and we were safe and no one got COVID from our event, thank God. But that wasn't the case if you know weddings after or before ours. So it was just going in with that mentality of we can't control the world, but what we can do is control us and this is what we wanna do. So, um, there was a point where I didn't have a venue at all, but I was still going to get married on that date. Okay, so the cover of the book is you uh, drinking Veuve Coco <laughs> champagne directly out of the bottle with, it looks like, you know, tears running down your eyes with your mascara running. Mm -hmm. How much gallows humor drinking went on during this year of planning? Oh, boy. That's... That's one that I'll have to think about. <laughs> um, we definitely had wine way too often when trying to plan this wedding. And we didn't put on anything that didn't have an elastic waistband. So we got like a little chunky. It's this time where you're supposed to be working out and looking great and detoxing. No, we were gaining weight, drinking, trying to plan this wedding. Um, but... It was quite quite an odd time, but I love this cover of the book because it's, it's actually really special. This is my grandma's wedding gown and it fits me. And so this thing is, you know, obviously very, very old and she wanted me to wear it for my wedding and I didn't end up, um, cause I found a dress. I ended up finding three dresses in the book, which was another disaster, but it was just really special to have this photograph. Um, and then it was turned into a cartoon for the book, but it was cool to, to share that with people. Wait, is that a cartoon on the cover or is that a... It's a picture that was rendered into a cartoon. I wanted it to not be so realistic and I wanted other people to see maybe themselves in the, in the book. Okay. So, you know, obviously on the cover is about the, the, the book is more about the turmoil mm -hmm. leading up to the wedding. Mm-hmm. But then the wedding itself turned out to be amazing. The wedding was amazing and it was the best day of my life. But there are things that went wrong. And a lot of that comes out after the fact. You have no idea when you're getting married. You're just happy. It's amazing. And then the day after or a week after, people start telling you all these crazy stories of things that went wrong. And some are simple. And then some are a little bit more upsetting. So for example, my mom and I, once again, that main character in this book, put together a hundred welcome gift bags. And we turned her guest bedroom into a factory. We're putting like large snacks, waters, Pedialyte, everything you could ever need, handwritten notes, tying it, confetti. I mean, they were a really great gift. And we even had some personal notes um, in each bag. So they went to certain people and our hotel just didn't pass out the bags. And so we spent all this time and money and half of our guests got them, half of them didn't. 
And it's not a big deal, but it is a nice gesture. And it was very important for me to, for my guests to have that personal note, to have those things that I put together. So that's just one example that I had no idea during the wedding. I mean, it's not a big deal unless you plan everything. Yes. <laughs> and expect it to be perfect. Yeah. But you can't you can't have that expectation. Once the wedding is happening, you just have to let go. Um, but that was one. And then another, which was a little bit of a bummer. Um, you have two dogs, so I don't know if you're as obsessed. You have three dogs, actually. Three dogs, yeah. We have three dogs. Being Bailey and Buttercup, right? Wow, good Yes, memory. they're all bees, so it yeah. makes that easy. <laughs> um, so we had this watercolor portrait of our dog, and it was made with this like signature cocktail that I spent a lot of time crafting with a mixologist. Like this drink was stunning. It was pink for Rosie, that's my dog's name, edible flowers, beautiful. And the um, bar signs and like all of the stuff that I put on the bar was never delivered. That box went missing. And so I kept asking, hey, can you go get me the Rosie at the bar? And I never actually went to the bar myself because I was busy. I had friends go and they were like, um, they don't know what you're talking about. And I wasn't even thinking straight. I was like, okay, whatever. And I kept tasting these drinks. I'm like, God, this is awful. What is this? And after the fact, I realized like, you know, hundreds of dollars worth of bar signage and these watercolor paintings never made it. And so just little things like that, it happens. You're going to expect these things to go wrong, but, um, you know, they're a little upsetting after the fact, but you move on. Well, but the day turns out to be amazing. And what you learn is that people adjust mm -hmm. all around you. They just want your day to be amazing. So then they don't even tell you about the problems. They oh, thank goodness. To, yeah. Right. <laughs> Keep so, me in the dark. Okay. So now you've been through not only planning a wedding in a very complicated time, mm -hmm. but having a wedding that turned out great. Mm -hmm. Do you give advice in this book about like to the, you know, if you were like doing it again or like, you know, if you're, you're a bride, you know, Remember these things. Or... Mm -hmm. So at the end of each chapter, I give advice. There's an advice section. So the chapters are narratives, but then in the back, if you miss those lessons because the story was kind of funny or quirky or you're like, oh my God, I can't believe she wrote that, um, you will miss some of that advice. So for instance, one of the first chapters of the book is the ring chapter. And we talk about trying to find a ring. Um, Peter and I were both in graduate school, so we were making no money at the time, but we still wanted to get engaged. And so that journey of getting a ring, we learned so much about um, where to get a good ring, the four C's, cut, clarity, carrot, color. In the, in the end of that chapter, I give just tips to finding the right ring and other options if you don't want to go with a diamond and just kind of figuring out what's best for the bride and, and that couple. So that's just one example. What um, what about like, so let's say you're, when you have a lot of friends who are getting married. I've been to 10 weddings this year. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I've noticed that on Instagram. Yes. Right? Is that, wow, another wedding. Are they all coming to you and saying, Sarah, help me. Like, what do I, you know, what do I do? You, you've, you wrote a book about this. Help me plan my wedding. There are some things, like I've shared some templates of schedules to help, um, to help just like the logistics. I think that's one piece that's very difficult. And I do show an example of a timeline in the book for people to base their scheduling off of. And it's something as simple as time, who the task is delegated to, and then description of the task. And then just like times it has to get done because you think it's silly, like, oh, it'll get done. Well, a lot of this stuff has to happen sequentially or the outcome won't, it won't work. So, so you think of it as a book that is a bride's guide mm -hmm. and not just mm -hmm. the horror stories of, you know, trying to plan a wedding during COVID. Exactly. I want people to learn from my mistakes because I made so many of them. So the goal is to really learn from my mistakes, take those tips in the back. And if you don't want to read the story at all, you don't have to. You can just flip to the end and just read the tips like, hey, I'm going wedding dress shopping today let me flip to that chapter of the dress and see what she recommends for how to shop for the right dress. And some things are as simple as, as making sure you have the right undergarments, making sure you have the right pair of shoes with you when you try on dresses, um, you know, making sure you're trying on at least three different styles because I didn't do so and it ended up biting me in the butt later on where I'm having to buy a sample gown off the rack a couple of weeks before the wedding because my gown is uncomfortable. So a lot of these tips that um, 
you know, I just want people to learn from. And I actually had a friend a couple weeks ago tell me that she ended up buying a second wedding dress because the first wedding dress she didn't like. And it was one of those moments where I wanted to be like, well, I wish you read my my book on that chapter because maybe you wouldn't have picked the wrong dress. And now you're stuck with this really expensive couture gown. But um, little things like that. Maybe that's the one she really wanted. She just wanted an excuse to buy it. Well, maybe she can still keep both gowns. I was trying to tell her like, oh, I'll keep both, you know. Or she could do the old um, switch into the other one at the mm-hmm. reception. Mm-hmm. Right? Because the one that's more casual, one more. Mm-hmm. I love or you the, have two over the top. I, I love the. I love it when the brides do like four four outfit changes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's all coordinated. <laughs> I had one, and that was because um, I needed to change for the first dance. So for me, the first dance is really, really important. And I talk about that in the book, just how to prepare for one how to pick the right song. How, how do you to... do it? Yeah, tell me. Like, Walk me through picking the first dance in the song. Well, I think the most important part is finding the right song you want, which can be difficult for some people. For me, I associate emotions and memories with music. So finding the song took the longest part of a process between Peter and I, because every time we'd listen to a song, and be like, oh my gosh, no, that reminds me of this ex-boyfriend, or oh no, that reminds me of this ex-boyfriend. So a lot of the love songs I definitely associated with just so like ex-boyfriends. ex-boyfriends. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so when we finally found the right song, you know, that was like a huge relief. And then we had dance lessons on and off for probably six months leading up to it. And everything was choreographed. I've choreographed things my whole life, but we had someone come in to help because I know what I want to do, but it was hard for me to teach Peter the proper foot movements. So um, that was a really, really fun experience. And I wish that we still did dance classes because it was a weekly thing. It was a great activity together, but now that it's passed, I, I don't see us doing that anytime soon. What kind of mother of the bride do you think you'll be? I hope a nice one. What would that look like? Um, I would like to say I will be less opinionated than my mother was, right? She had like a lot of opinions and strong preferences, and I definitely fought her on a lot of them, but I'll most likely be just like my mom. I'm probably going to be, <laughs> probably <laughs> have a lot of hard requests. <laughs> it's hard to know, you know, like when mm-hmm. you, when you, when you sit today. Yes. It's like people giving advice about raising children before they've had them. True. But you don't know, Mm. right? And so you don't know exactly what kind of a mother of the bride you'll be. But let's say that a mother of the bride came to you Mm -hmm. and said, Sarah, my daughter's getting married. How do I do this the right way? Mm. What do you say to her? I I would tell her that it is important to voice your opinion and the things that you want because it is it is important and it is an important celebration not just for the bride and groom but for the family as a whole. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I kept in mind while planning my wedding because a, a lot of people gave me the advice of do whatever you want, it's your wedding, people will fall in line. And I just really didn't resonate with that. I didn't love that because it's not just my day, it's my husband's day, it's my family's, it's his family's, it's a celebration of of all of us together, because without this network, we wouldn't be here in this moment. And so I would tell the mother of the bride to, you know, definitely voice your opinions, let your daughter know the things that are important to you. And then you leave it up to her to decide if if that's also important to her. But I do think it's important to communicate those things because I've seen a lot of weddings where the mothers are more reserved or don't feel comfortable saying anything. And then it's something as simple as like not having a wedding cake and that would have really just made them happy. So sometimes it's doing something very small that would that makes a huge gesture to someone in the family. So you think that if you're the bride, it's good to sit down with the other stakeholders. Oh, for sure. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And I did that. Um, that's why we had a wedding in Atlanta. Um, my you know, actually, my mom was the one that wanted to do more of a destination wedding. Um, destination as in like Florida, but a, like the Keys. So that's very hard to get to. And Ocean Reef. She wanted to do an Ocean Reef wedding. Not allowed to say. You no. <laughs> <laughs> You're not allowed to say because you have a contract with Ocean Reef? Well, because I've disguised everything in this book. Oh, oh, yes, oh, oh. Yes. Okay. Oh, the locations have been disguised yes. in the book. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah, so she wanted mm. to do a destination wedding and... 
I just told her, I don't think that's fair to my friends and Peter's family who's traveling from California or um, up north because it's not just land in the city and you're there. You have to land in the city. You have to take a two-hour car. Um, it's very expensive when you get there. And so I just said that's not fair to his stakeholders, right? So even though that would be fine for us, that's not fine for the other half of the wedding. And so we chose Atlanta and we chose a location that was in within 15 minutes from the airport. And everything was walking distance once you got to Atlanta. So from the hotel for the hotel block, which I got an insane deal because it was during COVID, it was a little over $100 a night. Um, you could walk to the rehearsal dinner and the venue. So it was really, really convenient for guests. And that was important to me. So that, but that wasn't at the Four Seasons, 100 bucks a night. No, because we didn't know we were going to be at the Four Seasons. Oh, right. Yeah. So I just got a very central um, midtown hotel. That they could walk to the Four Seasons. Mm -hmm. Amazing. That worked mm -hmm. out good. It really did. Okay. So you get through all of this stuff. The wedding turns out to be incredible. Honeymoon. How's, how's the honeymoon affected by COVID? The honeymoon was truly amazing because we planned a lot of activities. I'm a planner, you know, so we were um, doing helicopter rides. We were hiking. We went on a catamaran. We went snorkeling. Where is this? Um, Hawaii. We went to Hawaii. Um, was that the original plan? That was not the original plan. What was the original plan? The original plan was Croatia and Greece. And that was supposed to be really romantic and amazing. And I'm a big fan of Europe for travel just because you can go to the beach, but there's also museums, culture, food. To me, food is probably the most important <laughs> when it comes to traveling. Oh, I tra you're Italian. <laughs> yes, I travel for the food. And we had to cancel because the COVID regulations leading up to the wedding, um, they, were, they were not allowing any travelers. And so then we ended up booking Hawaii, which was a great alternative. But I have to say, we laugh about it today. The resort was completely empty. There was no one there. And I really wanted to be like, we're on our honeymoon and do the cheeky thing where you like make couple friends at the, at the bar and in the pool. We didn't talk to anyone for two weeks straight. So I think we were kind of like, okay, we've had enough of Hawaii. We've done all the activities that we can. Um, and we've made no friends at the resort. It was just a quiet honeymoon. How far in advance was that audible? Like, did you have a whole, the whole Greece, Croatia thing planned? Everything, you know, hotels booked, flights booked, cars booked, everything. And you, when you were booking all that, were you hoping that it was going to open up? So it was weird. Or did you believe, or what, what did you believe when you were booking it? In the beginning, Croatia was open. That's why mm -hmm. we booked it. Mm -hmm. um, it was the one country that was kind of liberal at the time, like, hey, you can come to Croatia. And then as it got closer to our date, they switched. And so that, that was the, the reason we booked Croatia. Mm, outbreaks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then how far in advance did you have to like scrap it and be like, we're calling it Audible, we're going to Hawaii? Only, I think, two months before the... Okay, before, two yeah. months, two months. It wasn't Which like Which as a planner, weeks. that's not that much time for me, <laughs> right? That's a whole different wardrobe. That's, that's a lot <laughs> of different things. And you had a lot of other things going on. Yes. So that, yeah, that makes sense. How many other places did you consider besides Hawaii? None, actually, because we didn't want to face other regulations. Mm -hmm. And since it was U.S., we figured this is the easiest, this is the safest. It was a bit of a pain. We had to get COVID testing um, before, after, and as we switched islands. And so we were getting our nose swabbed like every three days. And that was back when those had, they had those terrible tests where they tried to like go way up in your sinuses. Yes, up to the brain. Oh, it's mm -hmm. the worst. I'm glad <laughs> they got rid of those. Me too. <laughs> Hawaii is a long ways from... Atlanta. People, you know, forget that like to get to Hawaii is farther than going to London. So far. And and so that was also one of the reasons we'll probably never go back because yeah. it's so, so far. And that's how I feel about Hawaii. Yeah, we actually missed our plane on the way back. Um, so how'd you miss your plane? Well, I probably know how, but it's <laughs> no. a honeymoon. We missed our plane on the way back and we bought these first class seats for the honeymoon. But since we missed our flight, we were in the coach seats oh, <laughs> in the no. way back by the bathroom. Oh, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's not as fun. No, not as fun. And we were like, watch, like, like kind of peering out at the first class as they serve them champagne yeah, we and good food. You're supposed to be there. That's supposed to be us. For eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you need the lay down seats like you're, you know, going overseas. Yes. Well, how did you miss the flight? It was actually not our fault. So we had a connecting flight 
and the flight to get us back to the big island was ah. delayed. And so we were there mm. and we watched our flight pull away. We were just mm. standing at it and it was not our fault at all. And so then, um, and I was so tired. <laughs> so they get you, did they get you out that day or did they, you have to stay another night? It was, we were out that day. But I was like the coach. next, yeah, in the coach by the bathroom. Did, did you say, how long do I have to wait to be in first class? It was like three days. I asked Peter, he was like, no, ma'am, we're going home. <laughs> he went, he was, he was, he was ready to end the honeymoon or bring it back to Atlanta at least. Bring it back home for yeah. sure. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I'm ready for some human interaction instead of just an empty island. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You guys are like, all right, well, this is for the rest of our lives, but we had two weeks, just the two of us. It was a lot. <laughs> no, it was really, it was really fun. Um, it was just definitely another example of having this idea of what something should be in your mind and then it not being that, but also being something amazing and an adventure and so much fun. For instance, like I thought we'd be going to Michelin star restaurants every night. Well, they weren't open. So Peter and I were going to the grocery store in Hawaii and eating it in our hotel room. Like it was just really funny, quirky things that looking back, um, you know, how much fun, how ridiculous, but, um, I think we, we definitely, um, had our like second honeymoon recently. I was just going to say, yes. were you just in Europe? Yes. We were in Italy and we counted that as our honeymoon when people, to, when people would ask, we'd be like, oh, we're on our honeymoon. Cause we finally got to do what we wanted. They got to probably meet other couples. Everybody's we out We did. Yeah. <laughs> we actually talked to other people. Where did you go in Italy? Um, it was actually for my friend's wedding. So that was the beginning of the trip. So we were on the Amalfi Coast, so Ravello, Positano. And then we spent a lot of time in Rome. I really like cities. I'm a city person. So just like spending multiple days in a city and really starting to feel like acquainted with it was, was nice. But was Rome with the wedding party? No. So was that was on your own. Mm -hmm, Positano and Rome. And then we did Pompeii. That was on our own. And that mm, did, you, did you go and like see the people who were All the frozen. petrified people, mm -hmm. yeah. What'd you think about that? Going to places like that always freaked me out for some reason. It leaves me with a very eerie feeling because they were kind of barbaric. And when you hear about just their source of entertainment and you look at these fields, you're just like, oh my goodness, a lot of people died here. I mean, that all of human history is littered. I know. With violence. A lot. <laughs> I mean, she went to Pompeii, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I do, I do have a question. Yeah, you have a question for me. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this is kind of a crazy one, but if you were the bride, mm. what would you have wanted for your wedding? Hmm. Is it if what I was the bride. Is it what your wedding turned out to be, or would you have done something different? I mean, I, I think our wedding was pretty amazing. I mean, really, it was Beautiful. just like absolutely fantastic. Um, I mean, if I was the bride, it probably is a little simpler, mm -hmm. you know, just because you know, I'm, I'm probably less big white wedding mm -hmm. romantic, mm -hmm. but I'm also a guy. So that, that's the hard part is that if I'm trying to channel like my inner femininity, I don't have any idea what I'd actually look like, you know, what I, what I, how I would feel or what I would be or what I would desire if I was a woman. So it's hard to then imagine like if I'm the bride, but I really like have a dude's mentality. Makes sense. Right. But I understand the simple. I yeah. get you're more of an uh, introvert, so something small, simple. 100%. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. Um, I probably I probably err on the side of, uh, yeah, I probably err on the side of the simple. I could have, you know, I could have probably eloped and been okay with that in some, you know, some respect. But, you know, I'd been married before, so I'd experience like a big, mm -hmm. big white wedding. Um, a big, you know, invite all your family, big church wedding. Um, and so like, you know, I didn't voice a lot of opinion necessarily because, um, Britt, my wife had never been married. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that she, you know, deserved the whatever imaginative, joyful wedding that she wanted to cook up. Now, what was interesting about it is that my um, when I got married, when I was in my twenties, you know, obviously our parents put money, you know, put up money for the wedding, but they didn't put up enough to pay for the whole thing. So we were still paying for some of the wedding. Um, but there were a lot more constraints and there were a lot more stakeholders. 
because, you know, when you're in your 20s, you still feel like really connected to your uh, immediate family in a way that's different than when you're 45. Mm-hmm. And so the second time around, uh, one of the things that was really a delight was that I was paying for the entire thing. So we just did whatever we wanted and everybody else just had to go for the ride, uh, which, you know, it turned out to be also so much more fun when all 300 and I think there were like 320 people at our wedding. When those 320 people are your friends and all people you wanted to have there versus, you know, when I got married in my 20s, a lot of people were the people that my parents wanted, you know, and so it was a, when it was a party for them, a celebration for them. Um, and then there were a bunch of people there that were my in-laws and all, you know, and all my in-laws friends and family and all the people they wanted to celebrate with. And that's it. It was just a very different experience getting married older and looking back, like, I'm really glad we had a huge wedding. I might not have, you know, naturally chosen it. Uh, but it was such, it was, it was, it was so delightful because I'd been through a wedding. I knew what to expect it didn't go by as fast as like that, you know, when you're uh, oftentimes you'll hear brides and grooms talk about how, God, I snapped my fingers and the whole thing was over. I spent a year planning this and I don't even remember it. Did I eat anything? I don't think I even tasted the cake, you know, or I didn't see these 20 things that I stressed about. I, I, don't, I don't remember, you know, getting to enjoy them. Um, I definitely had an experience that was not like that the second time, you know, I was out like having drinks with everybody before the wedding um, I was just delighting in all the people because I knew that's really like the core of what this experience is, is getting to enjoy all these people that may never, ever be in the, all in the same place at the same time the rest of your life. And so I would, if, if, you're, if I would have been the bride prior, I would not have ended up making a wedding that was as good as what we ended up with. And so then as the groom, it was an absolutely amazing experience. Yeah, your wedding was stunning. It really, really was very, very special. So I did hear that um, you had a little mishap um, before your wedding, and I don't know if you know about this, but this is an example of some of those things that happen before your wedding. Tell and me, what was the mishap? So rumor has it. <laughs> I probably it, caused it. <laughs> <laughs> rumor has it that your wedding ring oh, went missing before did. the ceremony. <laughs> so tell me about that. What happened? Oh. Okay, so um, my really my my best friend from college, and and really you know one of my best friends in the world even today, Dave was the officiant of the wedding. He did an amazing job, really fantastic. I mean, people thought that he was like a professional pastor, but he's not. He's a professional businessman. Uh, but he did an incredible job. But he um, somewhere before the ceremony had you know had my ring and it fell out of his pocket and so when he was kind of getting ready to imagine imagine like you start to realize like you're the efficient and you realize i lost the ring now thankfully it wasn't brit's ring oh right? my god <laughs> no not that she was taking up her engagement ring but she but even he he didn't lose her wedding band but he did lose my wedding band and so he improvised and he just took off his own wedding band Oh, that's not what happened. Uh, Sarah, Sarah was at the wedding. Sarah Smith, who's our producer. My and husband's wedding band. Oh, so Dave went and sourced a wedding band oh from Sarah Smith's husband, <laughs> which I didn't know until just now. My husband still thinks he's married to Brittany. <laughs> <laughs> He's <laughs> an argument for that. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> right? That's that's like uh, that's like that old uh, tradition in England. Really you know, her. yeah. Well, yeah. she's likable. Yeah. Well, so anyway, a ring shows up that wasn't my ring, and was significantly smaller than my fingers. <laughs> and so, in the it, when he hands me the ring, or when she goes to put the ring on me it won't go past my knuckle, right? It's like, you know. You're like, I haven't been drinking that much. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, you know, <laughs> but it won't go past my knuckle. And and Dave looks at me and he kind of just shrugs his shoulders like, mm. and I'm like, is he just pulling a gag here? So I just go with the gag. And then later I find out that the ring is missing. Did you ever find it? Well, so there's, Somewhere there's, in the there's farm. two versions of this story. Oh which, my goodness, which this now, gets better and better. Which now, you know, Dave will know the real story because of this 
Well, no, he'll probably never listen to this podcast. But if he did, he would learn the real story. So Dave, the next day, says, I'm going to the store. I'm getting a metal detector, and I'm going to find that ring. And so he goes, you know, he, he's on his way to the store. And then somebody um, calls me and says, oh, we found the ring. And so I tell Dave, don't worry about it. They found the ring. Well, it turns out they didn't find the ring. What they really were saying was, we didn't find the ring. Mm. But, the, but it somehow got translated to me as, we found the ring. Well, I never told Dave that we didn't find the ring because I knew that he'd want to, one, replace it, or two, he'd spend all day out there with a metal detector trying to find it. And I knew it was a $1,000 ring, right? So not that $1,000 is a small amount of money, but I didn't want to put him through that, and it just doesn't matter. So, so we went on our honeymoon to St. Bart's, and the first place we stopped was Cartier. And just they happened to have the exact same ring. And we replaced it on the first day of the honeymoon, and we we're, uh, were good to go. So I'm still wearing it right now. That's a great story. Yeah. <laughs> but there is a Cartier band floating around the farm somewhere. I'll be at your place in 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Britt did buy a, uh, a metal detector recently. Not for that. She just wants to be allowed to go, you know, because mm-hmm. the farm has a long, you know, interesting history. Um, and so she wanted to be able to, like, you know, check it out. But so that's the story of the wedding band. But I didn't know that it was actually Sarah's husband that right. had that had donated the band for the ceremony. That gets better and better. Yeah, better and better. I do have another question. Yeah. So in the book, I talk about my wardrobe malfunctions mm. with finding my wedding gown. So in the story, I talk about how the first gown I purchased was beautiful, but it was really heavy and after three rounds of alterations, it did not fit. And so then I found a second dress, which um, I couldn't return it. It was non-refundable. It was cheaper. And so that was the second dress, which was a waste. And then the third dress I bought, really bartered off the rack to wear for my uh, reception. So my party dress, that was my outfit change. So I had some wardrobe malfunctions, but I also heard that you got a custom suit made for the wedding and then you didn't end up wearing it. So Correct. what happened? Well, I had, you know, I, I, I had a suit made that was um, supposed to be kind of springtime that was, you know, kind of more uh, pastel, pastel-y. But then when I got it, I was just like, I can't do this. This is not, this is not my style. I don't like the way this looks, but it was like days before the wedding. And so um, I just started looking through my closet and like just found stuff that was, you know, not for getting married. And um, we did take a trip into town because then I, I needed a couple things like, I needed, what am I going to wear for shoes? Right. And so um, I ended up wearing like German hunting pants <laughs> and, and a, or wait, no, it was it English hunting pants, a German hunting jacket, and like boots to my knees. <laughs> Leather. It boots works to for my the knees. farm. It was perfect, and it and it and it was fun and playful, and kind of worked out with you know, you know, Brit wore more of like a, um, you know, a beautiful uh, blush pink, uh, classic kind of wedding dress princess look. And she came walking out of the out of the forest, you know, up to the the venue, and so I was wearing more of like a woodcutter's <laughs> outfit, you know. So it was like uh, it was it was kind of fun and fantastical. That's awesome. But it was randomness for sure. It, it was not planned. It was not. There was not a lot of um, forethought. It was haphazard, sometimes, but it worked out great. Yeah, sometimes the last minute changes are the best. Did you have one more question? What did you have? I was just going to ask this, um, just a question, since you have three daughters, I was curious with how involved you will be and if you're going to be traditional, if you're gonna require their future fiancés to ask for their hand in marriage, what does that look like? You know, it's really interesting that you asked that and and it's unique because, you know, my daughters all live in LA with my ex-wife and um, well, I think that works really well for our family in the sense that um, I think my ex-wife and I function a lot better a long distance apart. Um, you know, with the girls, then it gets a little interesting because like their their mother 
functions in the house, like kind of a little bit both roles because they live with her day to day. And then they're with me, you know, for blocks of time, but not that same day to day. So like if they are going on a date, I might not know about it, right? Because they're living their life in LA. And so it'll be interesting to see what they feel about that. Um, You know, certainly I want to play those roles and I've gone out of my way to take care of them, protect them, you know, do all the things. And, and while it does work out really, really well to live 2000 miles away from your ex, it doesn't work out as well to live 2000 miles away from your kids. That's not ideal, right? I mean, in a perfect world, we'd both get to raise the kids, you know, they, we'd, we'd both get to have them living in the house all the time. We'd both get all those interactions of just driving to school and driving to, you know, volleyball and, you know, those kind of things. And so because of the uniqueness of that, um, family dynamic, then I'll just be, I'll be interested to see what the girls, is there'll be some element of what the girls want and what I want. Um, and they're still young. I mean, 17, 15, 12. I don't know how traditional they'll be. Um, obviously, intergenerational stuff is fluid. Um, I would never want them to have to do something they didn't feel great about. Um, certainly, I'd like to get to know this person. And certainly, I would feel protection over them such that uh, I would voice my concerns, right? And, you know, I have a lot of, you know, when you've, when you've had a failed marriage and a second marriage, you, ha- you know, you have a lot of experience with how these things can go wrong. And so you want to be able to, you know, give your kids the benefit of those lessons the best you can. So I'd say on the engagement side, I'm going to be, um, I'm going to, I'm going to express to them what I'd like to do, but I'm going to be flexible in that I know that they um, have had a, their own experience of our family. Now on the on the on the wedding side, you know I'll probably be just like super supportive and um, and I'll probably you know try to give them a budget and then maybe not stick to it. You know, <laughs> because the thing is, a dad just wants to like shower their daughters with love and affection and give them everything they want, and that's really what you delight in doing. And on a wedding day, that's a perfect time for indulgence. Well, maybe one of them will get married at the farm and find that ring. I mean, that would be incredible. Yeah, I love that idea. All right. Well, with that, thank you for being here. Thanks for asking questions of me as well. And the book's exciting. You can get it on Amazon. On Amazon. Okay, that's mm-hmm. right. So if, if Amazon's the best way to get Amazon, it. Amazon, Walmart, Barnes & Noble, and just all the, the COVID, online sites. And the COVID Bride. You just go in, type in the COVID Bride. It pops right up. Exactly. Well, thank you, Ryan, for having me. This has been a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Thanks, Sarah. The first time we met, we hated each other. No, you didn't hate me. I hated you. The second time we met, you didn't even remember me. I did, too. I remembered you. The third time we met, we became friends. We were friends for a long time. And then we weren't. And then we fell in love. This has been the Black Hall Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks for listening.